Thanks to vote by mail, Oregonians have it easy when it comes to voting, even during a pandemic. Deciding where to draw that circle this year is the biggest challenge. I'm Andrew Fien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Later in the show, politics reporter Hillary Baru discusses the statewide political picture. But first, City Hall reporter Everton Bailey Jr. sets the stage for Portland's four city council races. There are so many reasons to care about these races. Big questions abound. Will Portland finally have a mayor elected to a second term for the first time in two decades? Is this the beginning of the end of Portland's commissioner form of government? Plus, there's a host of talented, exciting newcomers seeking political office for the first time. We talk about all that and what it means for the city. Everton Bailey Jr., Thanks for coming on the show. How are you holding up? Hey, man. Surviving like everybody else at this point. Uh, but thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, we appreciate your coverage. And uh, we are, you know, not too far away from a very unusual election, but also a very important one on your beat, um, Portland City Hall. It's kind of crazy times. Um, I figured you'd start and you could just name all 54 candidates who are running for office. Yeah, man, it's been uh, pretty wild. But but seriously, this this is the uh, this is going to be the most amount of people who will appear on the ballot in modern Portland history. So it's going to be 54 people who are going to be on the ballot for mayor position one, two and four. Uh, the previous record was 41 people in 2004. Mm. So there's going to be, as I mentioned, four of the five seats on the Portland City Council will be up for grabs in the May 19th primary. And um, Portlanders uh, hopefully know that, you know, these uh, five seats, they're all citywide. So you're going to see all these candidates on your ballot, all 54 of them in, in your voters pamphlet or most yep. of them. Yeah, all of them except for uh, Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. She's the only one who you will definitely see in city uh, right. on the, at the city council in 2021. These are strange times, Everton, just to do our jobs, let alone campaign for office. What have you heard from some of the candidates you've spoken to about how they're running, how they're trying to get the word out, given that they can't do the old standby, knocking on doors? Uh, That's kind of out of the question at the moment. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, you know, via some other form of communication. A lot of people have been doing Zoom uh, town halls where people can kind of ask them anything and they can kind of inform voters that way. People have been doing virtual phone banks where they've been calling pe- calling voters and, you know, either soliciting donations or informing them about their campaigns that way. Some of them have been participating in uh, virtual debates. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much everyone shows up via Zoom. Um, we've done uh, endorsement interviews that we've put up on YouTube. So as Willamette Week, as well as other outlets and organizations. So it's it's mostly been uh, the good old internet has <laughs> been a savior for a lot of these people who, as you mentioned, they, you know, it's just not appropriate to knock on people's doors. Um, a lot of people have said that a lot of the pins that they've bought or pamphlets are just, you know, just being unused at this point <laughs> because they can't go around handing them to people. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good point. So those are kind of a political re- relics that could be uh, exchanged like currency at some point if we ever could get be collectors <laughs> items at some point, man. Um, end up at the bipartisan cafe out in uh, 
out in uh, East Portland. Um, so maybe let's start with uh, the mayor's race since, you know, that's even though it's not a strong mayor system here in Portland, probably the biggest name recognition. Uh, mayor Ted Wheeler is trying to do something that uh, we haven't seen here in Portland for a while. And that's a, a mayor continuing past uh, his first term, his or her first term. Um, what's, uh, what's that race like? Yeah, so that is the race that people are going to see the most amount of people in. It's got 19 people. Uh, not everyone is actively campaigning. At least two people have publicly said that they uh, have stopped campaigning and have dropped out of the race. But still, th- that's going to be the most names on the ballot. So as you mentioned, Ted Wheeler is the incumbent. He was uh, elected. He won the primary in 2016. He's been touting the successes that he feels the city has has had in his time in office, uh, mostly in increasing uh, shelter capacity for the homeless and doing more to increase the city's uh, response to climate change and as well as public safety. But yeah, and so pretty much what he has been saying on his campaign trail is that consistency in terms of leadership matters at this point, um, especially in the era of coronavirus and that a lot of the stuff that he has done already, you know, you can expect more of it, but on a bigger scale if uh, if he is elected to another four years. And Mayor Wheeler's perhaps top challenger is uh, Sarah Iannarone, who is more of a progressive, kind of completely change how the city works in a number of ways, right? What can you tell us about her campaign and how she's led it? Yeah, well, uh, Sarah Iannarone has been here before. She was one of the uh, people running for mayor in 2016. She finished third in the primary uh, behind Jules Bailey. Uh, she has been telling people that she is going to be the very opposite of Ted Wheeler. She disagrees with him on a number of issues, including how the city has responded to homelessness and housing. Uh, particularly, she is very much against the city removing people from homeless camps. She feels that it's extremely dangerous. Uh, she also wants the city to do more to create more jobs regarding uh, sustainability and the environment. She also wants to house more people. She feels the city can do more to build more affordable housing that more people can get into, particularly people who are houseless. And she wants to, uh, as, as many people who are running, they want to see the city be more representative and to impact more people across the city, particularly those in underserved communities, historically underserved communities. And Sarah uh, is a very active, very vocal about her and beliefs, ideas, concepts for how to change how people get around in Portland. She rides an e-bike everywhere um, and uh, makes has made that one of her cornerstone policies in terms of changing how the city works transportation-wise. Yeah, and she is uh, very much on social media, all over Twitter. This is true. And what about the other, uh, there are a couple other notable candidates. Uh, I know you mentioned that there's a huge roster of folks who are running for mayor, which is often the case, but a couple more candidates who are who have been there throughout, uh, Teresa Rayford and uh, Ozzy Gonzalez, I, I think stand out as folks who have been there for the long haul. Yeah, uh, Ozzy is a sustainability and diversity consultant. He's currently on the TriMet Board of Directors. Uh, He's been affiliated with the Hispanic Metropolitan Chamber uh, of Commerce, 
And uh, he's really been pushing his experience as an architect as well as an environmental uh, science background. Uh, He really wants to see the city become more environmentally friendly. He also is very much in favor of having a designated area for people to camp. He does believe in sweeps to an extent, but what he really wants to do is have people be in designated areas where they can camp and those areas be provided by the city. Uh, Teresa Rayford, uh, lifelong Portlander, fourth generation Portlander, community activist. She's the founder of the nonprofit uh, Don't Shoot PDX. Mm -hmm. She really wants to see the city uh, reach out to people who typically don't have a voice at the table. Uh, She also wants to do more to build more affordable housing, and she really wants to find more ways to get the city to engage people that they typically don't engage with or people who are, you know, possibly disenfranchised by the state of the city right now. And Teresa has run for office before, both at the county and the city level, right? Yeah, she last ran for Multnomah County Sheriff, I believe, in 2018 and lost to the the current sheriff, Mike Reese. So these are such uncertain times. We really don't know how things are going to play out. Uh, Have you seen any polling or have any indication whether um, the mayor, uh, who is the incumbent and incumbents have historically fared extremely well uh, in city council races, whether he, he's leading, do you have any sense of whether there might be a runoff in this race? Because you need 50 plus one, right? Yes. You, uh, whoever gets at least 50% of the vote wins the seat outright. And so, uh, but to answer your question, I haven't seen any polling yet. But uh, as you mentioned, the coronavirus is kind of, could be a complete wild card in a lot of this. It's possible Mayor Wheeler could have had a more serious threat to a potential second term without coronavirus. But I think in the era of coronavirus where he has been out front leading, I think a lot of people may agree with him that, you know, why rock the apple cart at this point? Why turn it over and try something new when you have someone who is in it right now and and working to help everyone get through this this pandemic? Well, switching gears, um, since there are multiple other races and so many other candidates, let's start, uh, I guess, I don't typically think of them as seat numbers, but let's start with seat number one. That's uh, Amanda Fritz's seat. Um, She has elected to leave office after her third term. What can you tell us about the options that folks will be presented with um, to, to see who will fill that seat? Yeah, well, there are, I believe, nine nine names that are going to be on the ballot for position one. Uh, this race includes Carmen Rubio, who is the executive director of the nonprofit Latino Network. And of everyone in the race, she has the most prior local government experience. Um, she's worked under former Portland Mayor Tom Potter, Commissioner Nick Fish, former County Commissioner Serena Cruz, She's also been on the Higher Education uh, Coordination Commission and the Portland Housing Authority Commission. So the work and relationships that she's built over the years in local government, as well as her time at Latino Network, has gained her the most support of anyone in the race, particularly of of elected officials. So Senator Wyden and Representative Blumenauer are among her endorsements, as well as Commissioner Joanne Hardesty and Commissioner Nick Fish endorsed her before he passed. Um, So some of the things that she wants to do is she wants to increase the city's affordable housing and increase aid to underserved communities. 
when someone has a resume that you were designed in a lab, I guess, to be a political candidate, um, she really has that resume. It's, uh, it's uh, tailor-made for public office, it seems. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there are other people in the race. There's also Candace Avalos, who's an administrator at Portland State University. She's also a member of the City Review Committee, which is um, it's an advisory board for the Portland Police Bureau. So some of her ideas are for the city to have a stronger rental assistance program and stronger accountability for Portland police officers who violate city policies. Uh, there's also Tim Dubois, who's a carpenter. He believes the city should be more fiscally responsible, wants to create more revenue streams for the city's park systems. And also there's uh, Philip Wolf, who has served on the city's Commission on Disability, and he's also hearing impaired. So he wants to see increased socioeconomic and disability equity in the city. Well, uh, you mentioned um, the late uh, Commissioner Nick Fish, who, you know, an outpouring of grief and love and support uh, for his family and friends and and really kind of a, a outpouring citywide when he passed his seat has garnered so many candidates it's really hard to see how this is all shaking out what can you tell us about uh the folks who are running to succeed uh nick including uh one of his former chiefs of staff yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. I think this is going to be the race that is going to be the hardest to call. And the one that if I had to put my money on it, it's definitely going to go to a runoff with uh, two people. That would be in August in this case. Um, so the winner, would, like you mentioned, will be completing the term of Commissioner Nick Fish, who died in January of cancer. And so uh, the winner would have about two years as commissioner before the next election cycle in uh 2022. This race has a lot of people with prior government experience. Um, you got current Metro Councilor Sam Chase, who you mentioned, is a former chief of staff of Commissioner Fish. You got former Multnomah County Commissioner Loretta Smith. You got Cynthia Castro, who's a senior policy advisor for Commissioner Amanda Fritz currently. Tara Hurst, who's a former chief of staff for former Mayor Charlie Hales. Uh, and then you've also got people who, uh, like Julia DeGraw, who's a nonprofit political consultant who ran against Fish in 2018, finished second. You've got Dan Ryan, who's a former public school boards member and former director of All Hands Raised, which is a um, education nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And Margot Black, who's a renter's rights advocate and community organizer and one of the chairs of Portland Tenants United. Yeah, and DeGraw um, has the endorsement, I believe, of, of uh, you mentioned earlier, Commissioner Hardesty, who is not facing re-election. She's weighed in on a number of these races, and I believe she endorsed DeGraw, She correct? did endorse DeGraw, and also she endorsed Rubio in position one, as well as Mayor Ted Wheeler for the mayor's race, and uh, Commissioner Chloe Udaly for uh, re-election on position four. Yeah, and uh, I guess perhaps no surprise that Hardesty is not endorsing her former uh, political opponent, Loretta Smith, in this race. Hey, it <laughs> happens. It it can happen. Actually, that's an excellent segue to to seat four. Um, that's Chloe Udaly's seat. She uh, unseated an incumbent um, who, uh, back in 2016, she defeated Steve Novick. Uh, Steve Novick has endorsed her in this race. Um, and this is, you know, in a normal world, this election, this candidacy, Man, this would be fire uh, if we were out in the real world where you've got uh, Udaly facing 
two pretty interesting challengers, but um, one in particular, we've got a former mayor, Sam Adams, former uh, commissioner as well, uh, you know, Vera Katz's right-hand man forever. This is a fascinating race. It is very interesting. Just to catch people up to speed, you've got Chloe Udaly, who uh, is the incumbent, got an upset win in 2016, defeating incumbent Steve Novick. So now she is running for re-election. She really championed uh, no-cause eviction restrictions that are now in place and requirements for giving relocation aid to renters. Uh, but her attempt to revamp the neighborhood association structure uh, really kind of melted down and uh, led to the entire process being delayed for three years. Uh, and also in the race, as you mentioned, former Mayor Sam Adams, who kind of had a meteoric rise, uh, you know, through City Hall, uh, mm-hmm. worked in Vera, Mayor Vera Katz's office, was a Portland commissioner, then became mayor, served only one term. Uh, complete, his term was completely marred by a uh, sex scandal involving uh, a uh, an 18-year-old at the time. Uh, and then you have Mingus Maps, who used to work for the Office of Civic Life. He used to be very very much involved in the neighborhood association system while there and the office of uh, community and civic life is the bureau that commissioner you daily oversees. So she's up against a former employee as well as a former mayor. And uh, yeah, things are just very interesting in that race. Do you have a sense of that race, whether a a runoff is likely? It's very possible. It's very possible. And I think it's going to, it's going to come down to some combination of the three. Um, very likely it could be Udalian Adams or Udalian Maps. Um, I think Mingus Maps has definitely garnered a lot of support from the neighborhood associations and has really positioned himself as the champion of neighborhood associations. And to be fair, uh, Chloe Udalian on the campaign trail hasn't said that she completely hates uh, neighborhood associations. <laughs> she, right. her whole rationale was trying to make the civic engagement process that the city has more inclusive, but uh, it kind of left out a lot of neighborhood associations in that process. Uh, So Mingus Maps also says that he wants to change a neighborhood association system, but he wants to work with neighborhood associations. That is kind of the thing that he's been hitting really hard, that he believes in the system and believes it can be tweaked rather than completely overhauled. Now, that's a lot of candidates that we just talked through quickly. But um, I, I guess when you take a step back, what stands out to you about this in its totality, Everton? Because, I mean, for me, what jumped out, it seems like there's a really a lot of really smart, talented, qualified, interesting people just in general, um, which is a good thing. There are. There are. And I think I guess I kind of thought there were three main factors which led to this being the largest field in Portland modern history. So I think there are people who are running who are just really dissatisfied with certain aspects of the state of the city, particularly homelessness and housing and social justice and climate change. There's also the city's public campaign finance system, the Open and Accountable Elections Program, which has really helped more people pursue elected office uh, than before. Off the top of my head, I believe it's 16 people who are running, including a lot of the, the notable names. So, you know, Commissioner Udaly is is enrolled in the program, Carbon Rubio, Sam Adams, Mingus Maps, uh, a bunch of people, especially in the Commissioner t- uh, Position 2 race like Loretta Smith 
and Sam Chase, they're all enrolled in the program. And so uh, to catch people up, it gives candidates $6 for every dollar that's contributed and up to $50 uh, gets that six to one match. So for example, um, you know, for those who aren't great at math like me, uh, <laughs> if, uh, if someone gives $5 to a candidate, the program adds $30. So the candidate gets $35 total. And so I think uh, in terms of a fundraising aspect, that has really helped lower some barriers for people to run. And then uh, I would also say that people are running because of the historical lack of representation in elected leaders on the city council. So in Portland's more than 100 year history, there have been very few women, people of color, uh, LGBTQ plus and people with disabilities who've been elected. And so for people of color, for example, there's been only three who have been elected to city council. You had Charles Jordan in the 70s, Dick Bogle in the 80s, and the third is Commissioner Joanne Hardesty. And all three are African-American. But that means that, you know, remember the first woman of color ever elected by the city of Portland was two years ago. And also as of two years ago, it was the first time women ever held the majority of seats on city council. So I just said a lot of stuff there. But to recap, (laughs) I think this is the largest field in Portland history because there are more people who feel that um, that the city that works could work better for them, better Mm -hmm. for everyone. And the city council should be more reflective of the lived experiences of the people they're serving. I'm glad you talked about representation quite a bit. And, and, um, you know, one of these evergreen issues that keeps popping up in, in Portland through throughout the decades is what do we do about our form of government? Um, and, and a number of these candidates, including people inside city hall, um, have pushed for a charter reform, a change to Portland's unique government structure. How has that played into the campaigns? And I guess, how do you see that shaking out going forward? Uh, Cause it seems like there's a lot of momentum, people wanting to change our system. A lot of people are for it. Uh, there are very few people who are against the city changing its form of government uh, in one form or another. The incumbents, uh, Mayor Wheeler and Commissioner Chloe Udaly, both favor it, uh, but they want it done through a citizen process. They don't want the elected officials to be doing it, you know, kind of willy nilly on their own. The city commission form of government has been on the ballot think at least eight times since the 1910s uh, to change it. And it's been voted down by voters every time. And so that has kind of been the barrier. I think the messaging to people has often been the problem, as well as what system does the city go to if it does leave the commission form of government. I think the messaging there has been a problem as well over the years. And so uh, the majority of people do favor it. Uh, the city gets its first crack at it in 2021. And uh, the consensus for what form of government the city should move to is one with a city manager as uh, at the at the helm that would kind of be the uh, traffic cop, so to speak, um, running the city day to day. And also people are more in favor of the city council 
being more uh, represented in the form of people being elected by districts as opposed to citywide, which is the current situation. And mm-hmm. that may require, for example, the city council expanding. Uh, and what that looks like at this point is unclear. I mean, do you go from five to seven or do you need more like nine people on the council? Um, and then which areas get represented? That's also something that would have to be heavily in consideration as well. What else is at stake in this unusual May primary that we're we're facing here in a few weeks? Well, you've got the uh, gas tax, which is also ah, yes. also on the ballot. Uh, you've also got the homeless services bond that Metro put on the ballot, which is definitely also a, a big hot button issue as well. Uh, those are definitely the two that that come to mind. Well, Everton, thanks so much, and we'll keep. Uh, tuned to your coverage to make sense of this uh, as we're all in our collective homes uh, waiting for this to shake out. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And I'll also give a plug to uh, we sent out candidate uh, questionnaires to a bunch of the people who were running for mayor positions one, two and four. You can find that on OregonLive.com. Uh, also, uh, we have our, our editorial board has done endorsements for candidates in those races, but I would also highly encourage people to watch the endorsement interviews that are also on OregonLive.com as well as the Oregonians YouTube page. Well said. Thanks, my friend. Thanks for having me. We'll be right back after this break to talk about statewide races with politics reporter Hillary Baroud. And now, the Oregonian and Oregon Live's Hillary Baroud. Hillary, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Andrew? Coping. Yeah. Frozen, running in the background with the <laughs> three-year-old, and uh, everyone's healthy and doing okay. Good to hear. The city races in Portland obviously are uh, you know, extremely interesting. Dozens of candidates. It's a little less action-packed from the state and legislative perspective, but perhaps the most interesting race uh, is the uh, Democratic race for Secretary of States. What can you tell us about the three folks who are vying to take back that office? Yeah, so this is in some ways uh, a little similar to the last time we had an election for Secretary of State back in 2016, I guess it was, uh, because there are three Democrats who are running. And this time around, it's Shamia Fagan. She's a state senator from the east side of Portland. Uh, Mark Hast, he's a state senator from the Beaverton area. And then Jamie McLeod Skinner. And she is from Central Oregon. She's known um, the most in state politics for having challenged Congressman Greg Walden out there a couple of years ago. And she came the closest mm-hmm. to anyone any Democrat had in that district to beating him. Of course, she didn't. And she is, I believe, a organizational and natural resources consultant out there. So they're kind of a, a range of Democrats. Jamie, I think, had gotten into the race the earliest sort of a moderate and progressive, but with a rural perspective and talks about crossing the rural-urban divide in Oregon. Mark Hass is uh, someone of a moderate known as a a tax wonk. Former TV reporter as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so in the Portland area, certainly a lot of people would remember him. Last year, uh, there was 
kind of a landmark bill that the legislature passed, um, largely basically with Democratic support to um, put a new tax on businesses in order to raise around a billion dollars a year for schools back in the good times. And uh, that was kind of Hass's baby to get that pa- that tax passed. He'd been working on a similar tax for years. And then Shamia Fagan, she's um, served in both the House and the Senate in Oregon, taking a, a little break in between those chambers. But she's known for de- defeating Rod Monroe mm-hmm. uh, in the Senate. And he, of course, is a landlord. And she had um, run against him a couple of years ago saying that she would vote for rent control and help get rent control passed. So she kind of comes from that uh, more liberal side of the Democratic Party in Oregon, um, pushing for tenant rights. She's also got a lot Mm -hmm. of support from the public employee unions. And I should say we're focusing on the Democratic primary in the Secretary of State's race because on the Republican side, there's one uh, serious Republican candidate, and that's Kim Thatcher. She's a senator from Kaiser, she's a longtime state lawmaker. Right. So three interesting candidates from three different, um, you know, occupying three different lanes, I guess, of the Democratic Party. Do you have any sense of how this is going to shake out? Uh, are you Have you seen any polling that indicates one way or another uh, how candidates might be faring? I haven't yet, and that's uh, probably largely a factor of what we've been covering this year. Our, to be honest, our election coverage is getting started later than it usually would because mm-hmm. of all of the pandemic coverage that we've been doing. Our state government's been really the center of the of Oregon's response, and so normally this time of year we would be hearing quite a bit from campaigns. Saying, might you know, here are some of our new ads, or here are some of our positions. Here's what yeah. my opponent's doing that's questionable and stuff. And we are kind of just getting started with this. Uh, although, look, look on our website for questionnaires that'll be rolling out for all all of the um, most contested Portland area primary leg- legislative races, and for the Secretary of State's office soon. So, yeah, this has been such a strange. Uh, few weeks for all of us. But I mean, campaigning has got to be such a dramatic shift instead of out there knocking on doors. um, You can't really do that safely right now. Uh, What are you hearing in terms of what candidates have been doing and how they're feeling about this? So I talked to the candidates in the Democratic Secretary of State's primary a couple of weeks ago about how campaigning was going for them. They said that they were uh, a little bit let down, that they couldn't have so much of a connection with people and there would probably be a lot of candidate forums and there have been some that were online, but it's hard to imagine that things like that are raising the same kind of money or just building support the same way that it would would be in person. Switching gears to the legislature overall, um, we're talking about the three senators who are vying for that statewide position, uh, Secretary of State. What, uh, what's going on in the legislature? Um, are, you know, we have some retirements um, and then we have uh, candidates who are not running um, for one reason or another. Are there any races that stand out to you um, down in the legislative body overall? So, yeah, we have two state senators in the Secretary of State's Democratic primary, of course, Mark Hass. Um, he is giving up his seat. He's not running for re-election this year. 
The stakes for Shamia Fagan are definitely a lot lower because she would not be up for election this year in the Senate. She's got another two years, so she can run for Secretary of State and see how that goes and then um, still stay in the Senate if it doesn't work out for her. But there are some other Senate seats that are up for uh, election this year. In the case of Senator Jackie Winters in Salem, she died. Um, right. And so, and so Denise Bowles, who had been in the House, she was appointed to fill uh, Winters' seat. And so that seat's up for election this year. About half the Senate, which is 30 seats, is up for election this year. The entire state House, which is 60 seats, is up for election mm-hmm. because it's up for election every two years. The Senate's every four years. Obviously, there are a couple people who are vying to replace Mark Hass. Uh, that's a really important seat, and it hadn't been open for a while. But some of the most interesting races to me will be the ones where there is a mismatch between the party that's holding the seat right now and the uh, registration edge. So there's a couple seats where Democrats would probably love to pick them up. Uh, Denise Bowles in South mm-hmm. Salem is one of them. Uh, another one is Tim Knope in Central Oregon. He's he's in Bend. Those are both seats that they are targeting because Democrats now number Republicans in those districts and Democrats would like to pick up some seats so that they can try and prevent Republican senators from walking out and denying them quorum and shutting down the legislature. Again, another thing that seems like it was a million months or a while ago anyway. Yeah, <laughs> we talked about that on the podcast not that long ago, but it feels like a, mm-hmm. a different life ago. So they're, the, the Democrats are hoping that if they pick up a couple seats um, that they can avoid that tactic. Right, because they would have they already have a supermajority where they can pass tax measures without Republican support in both chambers mm-hmm. of the legislature. But this would be taking it a step further and trying to get a quorum proof majority. Now, that's not a cakewalk for them because they also have some seats that they need to defend this year. An example is Arnie Roblin, who's from Coos Bay, and so he is leaving the legislature and that is, I don't remember the exact split on that district, but it's definitely one that Democrats have to defend um, down there on the South Coast. Here locally, one of the Portland races you highlighted is um, effort to replace Alyssa Kenny Geyer, who um, is not running for re-election. What can you tell us about Kenny Geyer's seat and, and the Democrats who are vying to replace her? Yeah, so that's a, an interesting race. And that was the first of our um, Portland area candidate questionnaires that we published online in the last week, and you should be seeing some more soon. So Jeff Kogan, he's uh, trying to come back from when he had uh, gone through some scandal a number of years ago for having an affair when he was the Multnomah County Commission Chair. Commission Chair, the the seat now uh, held by uh, Deborah Kafori. Yeah, so Jeff Kogan uh, is trying to come back from that. He'd been working with a nonprofit for a number of years. So he's coming from kind of a more moderate position within the Democratic primary. And then Con Pham, she was very involved in the effort to get the Portland clean energy tax passed. And she has a lot of support from advocates from um, that side of things. Yeah. And she's um, kind of brands herself as a community organizer, as well as, like like you said, a policymaker. So that'll be interesting to see uh, what happens in that race. Mm -hmm. Uh, What else are you keeping tabs on down in Salem? 
to be honest, um, it's it's going to be continuing to split our attention here. We need to focus on the elections because we're getting closer to we're getting closer to the election, obviously. So we need to be diving a little bit more into campaign finance tra- transactions and mm-hmm. how people are spending money. I'm really curious about how money is getting spent in Oregon politics with coronavirus going on, because certainly when I was talking to Secretary of State candidates, they mentioned the need to sound did not sound insensitive or too focused on frivolous things such as campaigning for office, even though we have an election <laughs> coming up. Right. And when there's just so much human tragedy going on, both in terms of health outcomes and the economy. And then on May 20th, there's an economic forecast coming out. Everyone expects that it's going to be down a couple billion um, yeah. at least. The state has Brutal. around a $24 billion budget, so it's going to be a, a significant hit. Now, we do have some rainy day reserves, so we have some money that we can tap, but regardless, there are going to be cuts. The governor said that she wants to wait on holding a special session to potentially push out some more um, coronavirus aid until after that forecast, because otherwise, you know, we just run that risk of promising to spend money that we don't have. And just another little flashback, we were going to do that during the special session earlier this year when Democrats wanted to pass uh, maybe half a billion dollars in additional spending on top of the budget Mm -hmm. that got passed last year because we just were getting so much tax revenue. The forecast looked great. Now we're in a totally different position. uh, So expect that in the next month. Well, these are strange times, and it's going to be an unusual uh, primary election. Um, and then who knows what's going to happen in November in the general, but uh, we'll talk more. Thanks, Andrew. Take care. Before we end the show, a quick programming note. My conversation with Everton Bailey occurred before several developments in the mayor's race involving Ted Wheeler. Most recently, the mayor sent out mailers that claimed he received endorsements from the Portland Timbers, Thorns, and his fellow city council members. Those were misleading. Everton wrote about that mailer and other campaign issues, and I shared those links in the episode notes. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. Catch up on all of our past episodes by subscribing anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you like the show, please leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts or tell a friend. And remember to vote by May 19th. Until next time.